This is a Brain Tools Tools episode, a 20-minute cutback version of our full podcast where you walk away with six practical brain tools you can use to hack your brain and level up today. If you want more of the neuroscience and research behind the tools, you can find the full version of this episode on Spotify, iTunes, and at the link below. But for now, it's time to get your six brain tools. All right, now we come to the section where we're talking about brain tools. And I've got to be honest, I've got a bit of a bone to pick here and I've got a, pro- I've got a problem. Samuel, are you okay? Do you need a little bit of therapy? Do you want to lie down on the couch? I would like to lie down. All right. I'd, I'd like to talk about Samuel, mine. you're lying down on the couch. I've now got my notepad and pen out. Samuel, what seems to be on your mind today? Before we go on these brain tools, I need, to, I need us to address a big myth out there. Dopamine fasting, it is not backed by neuroscience at all and it is baloney coming straight out of Silicon Valley. And I'm not having a bar of it, Kieran. Well, Samuel, I I need to understand, um, what is dopamine fasting? So there's this new hoopla coming out of the Silicon Valley, this concept of a dopamine detox or fasting where you take an abstained period away from all your technologies that are supposed to alleviate you from your addiction to dopamine. But that's such BS. <laughs> and I've got three reasons why. I've got three reasons why. You're so this. not happy with this. <laughs> I'm so furious because it's not rooted in neuroscience. And much like a lot of the ideas propagated by Silicon Valley entrepreneurs who think they are experts in everything, even though they only created one software platform ever, um, it's it's just been uh, <laughs> a drive-by. <laughs> I know, a bit of a drive-by shooting. But they, they often claim they have all these productivity hacks. So there are three massive problems with this concept of dopamine fasting. One is that a day or a short period of time of dopamine fasting does not magically alter your brain and change your connections that have built up over years of use. That is not how the brain works. You don't study Spanish for a day and then the next day wake up fluent. It takes time. Two, you can't dopamine fast because every day you're alive, even if you abstain from addictive sources, your brain is producing dopamine. It is the reason we move and we act and without it, you can't even walk. Like we said before, if your dopamine neurons are faulty, this is what leads to Parkinson's disease. Mm. Three, trying to dopamine fast does not actually have meaningful impact on dopamine levels. Your levels will be the exact same. It's just the sources where that dopamine is coming from will change because they're all in relation to your diet. So it's it's BS. It's BS. Why do you think it's gained so much movement then? Sorry, therapist hat on. Samuel, why do you think it's gathered so much momentum then? Because the underlying concept behind it is actually okay, which introduces... Album first brain tool. What a segue. <laughs> and our first brain tool is this. It's really simple. If you're addicted to technology, social media, take a technology break or a vacation. You know, take a break from your phone, your Netflix account, your social media, unplug, but try to do so in a way that doesn't make you feel uh, socially isolated or disconnected. And why you'd want to do this is because you are actually de-enforcing, and I made that term up, that is not a term, yep. but the associated <laughs> neural pathways. So because you're not constantly refiring these dopaminergic pathways that are associated with that action, with that opening of Instagram and checking your likes and, and your profiles, you're taking away the reward cue and the outcome from the technology. It means these pathways naturally atrophy over time and they do weaken a little bit. And it actually, this means that you become naturally 
somewhat less addicted initially, although it does take a lot of time. Um, and it gets weaker. It's a bit like if you, you go to the gym and you get really strong, if you stop going to the gym for a little bit, you lose some of the strength. The same thing happens with these dopamine addictions. So you're probably wondering, Kieran, I know you're looking at me quizzically. Like, how do I do this? Really simply, really simply to take a tech vacation. And we talked about this a little bit in the wellbeing podcast and episode where we said, you know, do an audit of your technology and, and what's what you're addicted to. But really simply, just take a couple of days or a period of time where you abstain from the technology that you're really addicted to a day here, a few days there, and try to replace that connection with some other things, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. One way I've done this personally, I've deleted Facebook, I've deleted a couple of Instagram and various apps off my phone so that I physically can't have them. But that leads us really well into like, what apps should you be deleting? What apps should you keep? And how do you determine which ones are adding value or detracting from your life? Have you have you possibly got us a solution there, <laughs> I, I possibly do. And Sam, I, I really do like that whole idea of that tech vacation two to four weeks. And that mm. leads quite nicely into uh, my brain tool, which is brain tool number two, uh, which is uh, map out your bad habits. Last week, we went through the habit scorecard where, and just to remind people, if you haven't seen that episode, please have a look at it. Episode four, all about how to create good habits. Essentially, what you do is you get all your habits, whether big or small, you assign it, whether it's positive, negative, or neutral in terms of what it adds value to your life. And then that gives you a really clear picture of how you go about it. But that's, that's not enough. We need to actually have awareness of it. And what you do with mapping out your bad habits is take that individual habit and apply the model of the cue, of the craving, of the routine, and of the reward, and consciously look at it. And the reason you should use something like this is because, as we spoke about earlier, your prefrontal cortex in your striatum, remember the CEO and the thing that forces your CEO or pushes you to actually do stuff, what happens, the link between those two becomes really, really small over time. And what you do by using that conscious thought is you're building up the PFC. You're giving the PFC power, the CEO giving more power to rule the rest of your brain. And this means you're more likely to be able to resist temptation if you use it a lot more. And Sam, really interestingly, as an example of this, that's what with addicts they've been doing. They've actually showed addicts um, the pictures of their brain live when they're exposed to some form of um, cue whether it's, say, what drug they like or showing them a picture of, say, white powder and showing the people their brain in live action has made the person feel pretty empowered. Like, wow, that's actually going on in my brain right now. Now, the really interesting part for, uh, for using it, how does it work? Pick a bad habit, okay, and then reflect and literally document in those four columns, which we've got on braintools.co, uh, uh, the mn.co, got to get that right, um, where you literally can do this. So I'll give you an example. Samuel, do you like donuts? I I might like donuts. Yeah. Yes, you do. You know you do. Don't lie to me. Well, <laughs> Samuel, I feel like you might have this problem. I'm kidding. I'm not meaning anything by oh. that. But if we were to take this model of actually saying I've got pen and paper, I'm writing this down. The cue for donut is you smell a donut shop as you walk down the street. So in one of the senses is important, smelling it, seeing it, mm-hmm. whatever then you have a craving. The craving is you begin to crave the donut. You actually visualize the donut. You might feel the beautiful sensation of, oh, that donut would be amazing. Happens with pizza all the time. Then the third part, though, is you end up buying it. That's the routine. You literally end up buying a donut and you eat it. 
And then what happens is the reward is you satisfy your craving to eat the donut. But then an association, that learned reinforcement, as you said, Sam, happens, which is buying a donut becomes associated with walking down the street. So every time you then walk down the street, you smell that, um, you end up uh, likely to actually buy the donut. That's what Subway did so well, the smell of Subway bread. It was a constant cue and reminder to get you in the shop. And so what I implore people to do is to map out one of those bad habits, employ your conscious brain. And you'll see that bringing awareness to something is easily the first step in terms of breaking and eliminating a bad habit. Totally. Finding finding the bad habits because you can't counteract those addictions and bad habits without knowing what they are. But, but then what do you do next? It's a very good question. And again, you've got to make it hard. So I hear you have done a little bit of research into this. Uh, I might've done a little bit of research and that might be the perfect segue into my second brain tool, brain tool number three, make it really, really hard. This one's super simple. We can be, make it really quickly. The harder it is to do something, the more perceived effort in the brain, the less likely you are to do it. So if you want to stop yourself being addicted to something, social media, junk food, Netflix, make it really hard for yourself to indulge that addiction, to take that behavior. Why? Well, our brains are lazy. They're, they're optimized. <laughs> it's so true. Literally, our brains are lazy. And and uh, you look at all the neuroscience research and, and a lot of the pioneers in the field, and they'll talk about the fact that we're prioritized for low effort rewards. This is how we survived, it's, right? It's ROI. It's like your brain is literally it's an ROI. ROI machine, return on investment. I want to do very it's little to get a lot. ROI. <laughs> And and because this is the reason they love sugar, Netflix autoplays the next episode, why Amazon has one-click purchases, because it's so easy, your brain just complies, it doesn't have to think or use effort to process it. And if it's easy, we'll do it. There's Daniel Kahneman, who's the, the godfather oh, of One of your faves. <laughs> one of my faves. And and um yeah, behavioral economics and, and psychology essentially talks about this analogy of, of if it's if it's easy, we'll do it. And it's like the difference between forcing someone to do something with a carrot and stick and, and really trying to incentivize them versus making it so easy they don't have to think about it. So the the inverse of that, the inverse of that, which is what this is all about, is making it so hard that you struggle to do it. And a couple of ways you can do this. How? How is this practical? Well, make your passwords really hard to remember and require yourself to log in every time you use a social media app. Super simple. You can go in and change your your settings so that every time you use it, you actually have to log in. And this will help you fight that urge because you open Instagram and now that you have to log in, you have this moment of recognition where you say, actually, I'm probably not going to do that this time because no, it takes too much effort. That's it. That's it. Make it hard for yourself to do and you'll do less of it. And that is so easy. (laughs) And that is so (laughs) easy. Oh, so powerful. And that also leads to brain tool number four, which is about inverting what you learned in the episode before, but that's actually coming in the next section. So stick around for brain tool number four. Brain tool number four, which I'm very, very excited to do. And Sam, uh, I know I did a pop quiz with you on episode three, Fear. I'm going to do it again. I'm sorry. I just want to test that you were listening to me last time. (laughs) Yeah, you weren't happy. I think you got, what, two out of five? But this time, I'm very confident 
You're going to get 100%. And last week, we talked about the four laws of positive habit change from James Clear's Atomic Habits. All I want to know from you, Sam, just one through four, because we talked about it a lot. What are the four laws of positive habit change as coined by one James Clear? Go ahead. Positive habit change. I mm-hmm. think I've got it. Okay. Uh, one of them is to, to make it attractive. Good. That's number two. I like it. Good. Uh, got to make it easy. You've got to make it easy. Yes. Very good. It's got to be satisfying. True. Got to satisfy. It's got to be right. satisfying. It's got to be satisfying. And then number four is the habit has to be obvious. Sam, I'm actually so proud of you. You actually listened to me. <laughs> That's This is... This is mind-boggling. Well done. Hundred uh, percent. I, I, I may have may have those answers in front of me right now. Yeah, you totally do. Don't lie. Yeah. <laughs> just, totally do. just just for dramatic effect. But based on what you've said, James Clear's positive uh, laws of habit change. The key idea he brings upon is if you want to eliminate a bad habit or break a bad habit, use the principle of inversion. And inversion basically means flip what you are currently saying in the opposite direction. So while these are geared to positive habit change, if we were going to breaking bad habits, we would simply flip to the opposite of each of those things. And so the tool that I want to give yourself is the four inverted laws of habit change, which is instead of making it obvious, make it invisible, out of sight, out of mind. Instead of making it attractive, make it unattractive. Instead of making it easy, make it difficult or hard, as you said in your previous brain tool. And then finally, make it unsatisfying instead of satisfying. And that becomes really interesting when you look at bad habits and changing it. Because as we said, you should use this very clearly to break those habits. But instead of going through all of them, Sam, because you've already touched on make it difficult, I just want to start with the first one that comes to mind, which is make it invisible. And that's actually my brain tool number four, is based on those four laws of negative habit change, make it invisible. And you should use this when you are actually really trying to get rid of bad habits, especially given COVID-19, where you are currently stuck at home, the environment is your immediate physical space. And the key idea here is out of sight, out of mind. If you have to make more decisions and if you have to resist so many cues, as we've said, it's literally as if someone's like trying to barge down your door, right? They keep barging, they keep barging. It's going to break eventually, like a dam holding water. And what you want to do is actually minimize the amount of decisions you need to make. And Jordan Peterson makes a a very good quote where he says, you are both a bad boss and a bad employee. And he's not saying that in a necessarily cynical way, but he's saying basically don't trust yourself when it comes to these things. And how it works is is really simple. Like if you want to use this, look at your immediate environment and based on the habit scorecard, based on the mapping of your habits, identify all the possible triggers, all the possible triggers, all the possible cues visually in terms of your sensory experience. Remove them. Literally get rid of them. Take them away because if you take them away, you're now trusting a system, as we've spoken about, you're not trusting yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so this could be like, uh, for example, if you were addicted to chocolate, chocolate, uh, not saying I am at all, but if you were per se, you would get rid of chocolate out of your house or you'd, you'd basically put it away so you couldn't see it. Yeah, you need to make the path of least resistance the ideal path. And that's exactly, to make it really practical, like there's a few people that do this in an uh, interesting way. Bill Gates is known for his thinking weeks, and I'm not saying everyone's going to be the richest person alive or one of, but he literally just brings books. 
and he brings notepads and paper and he goes for it. Cal Newport, um, who we both love, he's uh, done books on So Good You Can't Ignore and, you know, digital minimalism. He does two to four week deep dive sort of vacations where he goes to his hermit hut and it's just him, his computer, no internet to write. And it's removing all the possible distractions, all the possible cues, so that what you're trying to do becomes as easy as possible, but more importantly, the most obvious thing to do. So just to get really practical, if I, someone came to me the other day and said, Kieran, I want to write a book. And I was just having a just general conversation, a good friend of mine. And I said, okay, if you're struggling to write, remove everything. That is going to distract from your writing. And you'll find when you get bored, you'll want to be stimulated, dopamine, and the dopamine will be seeked through writing. And it'll just become the path of least resistance. And that's my brain tool number four, make it invisible. Love it. Make it invisible. Much like my dating life throughout my teenage years, invisible. Oh, my heart goes <laughs> out to you. Thanks, <laughs> Sam. He needed some help. Um, exactly. Speaking of socialization and socialization, socializing, I should properly say. That is a, the incorrect word. This actually brings me to brain tool number five, which is sometimes it's really hard to just eradicate things entirely out of your life cold turkey doesn't work for smokers it also doesn't work for other forms of addictions so what you can do instead is to find a way to replace the enjoyment from your addiction from the stimulus that is providing that addiction with something that has more beneficial purposes to you and the big one that comes to mind is either exercise or socializing why does this work it's because dopamine is produced regardless of what we do what tech we use uh, um, what we're involved in, what activities we do, we're always going to be producing dopamine. So trying to completely eradicate sources that provide this dopamine fix for us, this motivation can be really, really hard. But if you replace them with uh, some form of, of, of replacement, such as a social substitution, you're actually providing a way to plug that hole a little bit. And there's some really interesting studies and research around the benefits of social interaction and how it can be more addicting than cocaine. And I know what you're thinking, Kieran. That's, that's, a, ooh, lot. that's a lot going on. <laughs> we, we've seen movies. That can't be possibly true. But there's an infamous rat study where effectively rats, which are used as surrogates for human brains, we've talked about this before, rats uh, were given the choice between a drip that contained uh, cocaine intravenously or a rat playground with other rats where they had the opportunity to socialize. And what the researchers found was after a brief period of interacting with the cocaine trip, the rats would prefer to go and socialize with other rats. And this has led them to theorize that one of the most pleasurable things to the human brain is social interaction and engagement, which makes perfect sense. It's how we evolved. It's how we survived. It's Darwin. why we love Darwin. Darwin. It's, <laughs> it's why we love social media is because of that social interaction engagement, which is incredibly rewarding to our brain. So to use this and to get practical how you can use this is replace your social media interaction with a phone call. Super simple. I use this all the time. No kidding. You go to check Instagram to catch up with your friends. Rather than doing that, spend that same amount of time calling that friend or calling someone because when you have that communication and that connection with someone and you're talking two-way, the the interaction is substantially different from that addictive pathway you're experiencing with social media or your phone. And it's more fulfilling too. You're actually talking to someone. You're not talking to a phone 
and receiving these pseudo signals of uh, social engagement in the form of likes, comments, and shares. So to get practical, next time you have that impulse to just binge in social media, give someone a call. Call your best mate. And so It'll feel better on yourself. It's like substituting, as you said, um, you know, the, the bad habit for a good habit that's more, even more desirable, that whole idea of more attractive, so to speak, yeah. uh, and penciling that in, which totally. I really like. Or, you know, substitute. Come off substitute. the bench. Come off the bench. Come off the bench. Sub the coach. Coach, sub this good one in, <laughs> which is which leads really well into you know your last brain tool and and how you counteract your own narrative before you even go to deep dive into your Instagram account. Love it. Yeah, tool number six, brain tool number six. Essentially, it's called use your butt. Now, that sounds weird. I'm sorry. I'm not being inappropriate, I promise. But the whole idea here is it to change bad habits. And when you do it, it's very easy to relapse, as we've spoken about. And it's easy to judge yourself and fall into the self-loathing and you know um, self-hate when you say, oh, I did it again. I'm not good at this. I can't do it. And telling yourself, basically, you suck. So the way you can use this whole idea of but is when you start telling yourself a story internally, and we've spoken about that in fear, and we've spoken about that also in well-being, the moment you find yourself doing this and you judge yourself, focus on the actions you are taking to change that bad habit. Because last week we spoke about identity. We want to shape and shift the identity, not just the goal and the action. And so this drives the change in behavior because you're driving the change in belief. So I'm going to give you a really practical example based on sort of three different, yeah. um, if you will, self-limiting things people have. First one, if people are overweight, I'm fat and I'm out of shape, but I could be in shape a few months from now if I go to the gym two to three times a week. You're changing the narrative. You're shortcutting or circuit breaking the normal pathway you normally take. A second one, if you feel like you're not very smart, you're dumb, you're not doing very well at work. I'm stupid and nobody respects me, but I'm working to develop a valuable skill like persuasion to improve that. And finally, if people fear failure, which everyone does, I'm a failure, but everybody fails sometimes and it's a pathway to success. And so yeah. creating that uh, breaker where you say but can be a really important way of changing the way you view yourself and changing the way you interact with other people in your everyday life. So brain tool six, use your butt. Use your butt. Oh, sit on it. Be thick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> love that. No. That's, that's, that's actually a, a, a really powerful one and something we're going to touch on in future episodes is is the component of narrative and how important that is and how much it drives our behaviors and our actions. And you also referenced uh, fear too. We have released an episode on that. So if you want to dig down into fears and understand them, go and listen to that. It's episode three. That's super powerful. To wrap up, uh, my brain tool number one was Take your technology vacation, take a break, take some away time away from those addiction sources. Brain tool number two, Kieran, that was one you had. Uh, map out your bad habits. Actually do the four processes, your cue and so on, and map them out so you understand exactly what's going on and when it's happening. And you're three. Map them out. And if you want to do the mapping, go check out braintools.mn.co. Kieran has made an amazing brain habit mapper so you can check that all out brain tool number three was make it hard make it really hard for you to do that behavior to engage in that addictive habit 
because this friction will prevent your brain naturally from wanting to do it, uh, which lead, led really well into uh, brain tool number four. Yeah, make it invisible. Use the four laws of inverted habit change. Make it invisible, out of sight, out of mind, resist temptation, which substitution, come off the bench, leads to yours. Absolutely. Brain tool number four was if you can't do any of those things and you still have that addiction there, substitute it for something that's beneficial for you, whether that's a phone call or exercise, try to replace that habit, that addictive behavior with something that is a little bit more beneficial, which really leads into the butt of brain tool number six. Use your butt. Every time you tell yourself a story that is more in a negative negative self-talk, Say but and look to the outcome and the actions you're taking to change that and you rewire things a la Growth Mindset by one Carol Dweck, which will be on a future episode as well, which leads us to our 80-20. Samuel, what's your, what's your main takeaway from this episode on addiction? My 80-20 is addictions are everywhere. They're all under the surface and they're mobile these days. To break them, you just need to take away the sources and make them harder to get. Kieran, what's your 80-20? I love that. And based on that, actually employ conscious mind. Consciously reflect Mm -hmm. on all your bad habits and understand how they happen, when they happen, and where they happen. Wow, love that. And if you're liking this content and you're really interested in digging down further and diving a little bit deeper into the well of brain knowledge that we're trying to share Go and check out our growing community at braintools.mn.co. Like Kieran alluded to, he's going to upload his uh, habit mapper worksheet, which is really powerful. There's a little article in there about social media syndrome and the habits forming around that. So if that's something you struggle with, that's worth checking out. But that pretty much does us for today. Just wanted to call out to next episode, which we're so stupidly excited <laughs> we're so excited it's gonna be very like interesting it's the next episode we're talking about love tinder and neuroscience oh, how do those three work together you gotta to have to listen and tune in to find out more dating in the time of covid according to your brain thank you so much for tuning into this episode really loved having you here and can't wait to see you next week that's it from me thank you and uh bye for now See you later, guys. Thanks for joining in. Thank you so much for listening to this tools cut of our Brain Tools podcast, where you got just the six practical brain tools you can use to hack your brain and level up today. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe on any podcast channel you're on, iTunes, podcast, Spotify, and more. And if you really, really want to help us out, please leave us a review. It helps us so much to reach more people just like you and finally if you want to go a little bit deeper and dig into the research see some free classes and guides come and join our free community at braintools.mn.co can't wait to see you next week